Hi, good to see everybody on this, of course, celebration weekend. If you think about it, you have Good Friday and you have Easter as well. So as you've already heard uh, over and over again, we are honored to have you come and hang out with us. And it's always our heart's desire that you will feel encouraged, that you'll connect with God and make a friend, uh, build a relationship with somebody along the way. If you want to pull out the outline that you got when you came in, you know, we live in a time or a season where there's a lot of talk about religion. Of course, you have the terrorist attacks, and that brings in the idea of um, Islam, and what is it, what isn't it, and then you have Christianity. And if you look in your outline, there are really three uh, monotheistic religions. And of course, monotheism means the belief or the doctrine in one God, not polytheism, which some religions believe in multiple gods, right? And there are three major ones in the world today. You've heard probably of all three of them. The oldest is Judaism, all right, and uh, the Abrahamic uh, covenant. And out of Judaism was birthed Islam and Christianity. Now, as we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross, and then what he did just a few days later when the stone rolled away, it's kind of important to understand how uh, all, the, all this kind of comes together. Uh, Judaism, of course, uh, for the most part, believe in the historical Jesus and believe that he died, that, that he died, but they don't believe that he course resurrected because if they did then they'd have to believe that he was the messiah who had come to set up a kingdom and and all these things so they believe in the historical jesus believe he died but he just like every other human being died now when it comes to islam of course they believe in the historical jesus and they don't believe in the deity of jesus neither do uh neither does judaism but they and they don't believe that jesus died uh, for the most part, they believe that God created a person that looked like Jesus. And that person died on the cross. Jesus was hiding. And then after that person died, the real Jesus came out of hiding and showed himself to the disciples and, and others. But Christianity believes of course, in the historical Christ, the historical Jesus. But they also believe that he died on the cross that he is part of the Trinity, he is God, and on the third day, the stone rolled away, and he resurrected. Now, my question, and, and it's the question that I put in your outline here, is why is that important, right? I mean, wh why does that matter? The, the way I put it in your outline is why are Good Friday, which is, of course, the death of Jesus, and Easter, which is the resurrection of Jesus, why are these things important? Now, over Easter on the weekend, we're going to talk about the, the importance of Easter. We're going to talk about why that's important, that celebration. And especially if you've ever, have you ever felt like you're going in circles? Or, I mean, you ever felt like you just keep doing the same things over and over again? At first, it was exciting, but now it, it just it's, can even be sometimes boring. How do you get off that merry-go-round? Well, Easter has something to do with that. And uh, we're going to talk about it. But today, I want us to talk about Good Friday. And to understand why Good Friday is important, why 
what Jesus did on the cross, that he was God, that he did die, and then later resurrected. Why that is important, you have to think about how each of these monotheistic religions say that we relate to God. Okay? So how do they say that we relate to God? Well, let's just look. In Exodus chapter 20, you, it, it says this. Then God gave the people all these instructions. And the first five books of the Bible, when it comes to Judaism and how do they say that we relate to God, it's through the law. There are 613 laws in the first five books of the Bible. And it's through keeping those laws that we connect to, that we know God, that we relate to God. That's what they would say. Exodus 20, that's right before the Ten Commandments. You've probably heard of them before. So I say, well, God's going to give you these instructions, and he gives a whole bunch of them. And it's through those laws that, that we connect or relate to God. Now, when it comes to Islam, it, it, it's similar in that sense. Not the same laws, not given in the same way. But if you look in the Quran, in chapter 45, verse 18, it says this. Then we put, up, we, then we put thee on the right way, and you might underline that word way, we put you on the right way of religion, so follow thou that way, and follow not the desires of those who don't know. Well, the word way is an Arabic word, right, that you've probably heard before with all the things that are happening in our world. It's the word sharia, right, or we get the word sharia from that word way, which is what? Which is a set of laws. So Islam says that the way in which we relate to God is also through, through laws. Keeping the laws of Allah and keeping the laws of, of Muhammad. Christianity sees the law differently. And it's what makes Christianity different from every other religion. Look what it says in the New Testament in the book of Romans chapter 3. It says, obviously the law applies to whom it was given. For its purpose, so here's why the law was given... Is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. So, the entire world. So, we're talking about um, those who don't profess any kind of religion. Those who profess um, Islam or, or Judaism or Christianity. We're all guilty. Why? Well, for no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. In other words, we can't keep the law. Six hundred. 13 laws, if you read the Quran and look at all the different commandments that are given in Sharia, I mean, nobody can do that. We are going to screw up, right? You've probably screwed up today. I know I did. I said something I shouldn't have said, got frustrated, thought something I wasn't supposed to think. I broke the law, and the law is the way in which I relate to God, many religions say. Where Christianity says, look, nobody can keep it all. The word sin literally means to miss the mark. Miss the mark of what? The bullseye. What is the bullseye? Perfection. And so none of us can keep it. So then what role does the law play? Well, he tells us. It shows us how sinful we are. In chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned, all have fallen short of God's glorious bullseye or God's glorious perfection. So Christianity sees the law as a reminder that, that I can't keep it. And we say, well, Troy, why is that good? I mean, why is it good to be awakened? Well, 
because once we're awakened to the reality, and that's hard. That's hard. It's hard many times for us to admit what we know. I mean, let's think about it for a minute. There are, right, six, out of the 613, there are 10 that are probably world famous, known, right, as the Ten Commandments. Well, let me give you just, just five of them, all right? They're in your outline. It says, you shall not murder. Jesus said, well, I'm going to even take that a step further. If you have anger um, in your heart, revenge in your heart, then you've, you've broken the way in which you relate to God. You've broken this law. Another one I've put was, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus said that if you look at a, a woman, or you could even say a man with lust in your heart, then you, you, you've done this. And in today's world, with all the stuff that's available to us um, with a click of a mouse, are, 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 are you guilty? I'm not saying are you bad. I'm saying, have you broken the way in which so many religions believe that we actually connect to God? Another one is you shall not steal. You say, well, I've never done that. Well, think about it. Think about time. Have you ever stolen time? Maybe at one point in your life you, you know, had a time card or maybe even do today. You ever stolen time? You ever supposed to be doing one thing and you're actually doing another or maybe grades? You know, you, you, you got help with your homework or you looked across the aisle with your test, um, did things that you weren't supposed to do. And so in reality, if you're honest, the grade you got is not the grade you should have got because you didn't know the information, but the person did or the person who did the, the paper for you did. And as a result, you, you would what? You stole uh, maybe just a few points, but you stole a grade. And uh, you know words, you broke a commandment. We tend to downplay our sin and overestimate our righteousness. Another one is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, you shouldn't lie. You ever done that? You ever said something that wasn't true? And then, again, we could go through all ten, but just the last one is you shall not covet. In other words, you, don't, you shouldn't want something of your neighbors. Want to have what they have or desire to, to take it. And I just give us those five just to remind us that it doesn't matter how good of a person you are compared to anybody else this um, Good Friday and Easter season. The reality is, is these two religions say that the way in which we relate to God is through the commandments, is keeping the law, being good. And yet we celebrate Good Friday, first of all, because we are reminded we can't do that. And because we can't do that, then it's, it's a big deal. Why? Because, and again, I put this in your outline, is we just kind of walk through this. The problem is we're all guilty. And, and I think we'd all have to admit that. Well, what is the penalty for the guilt? Right? If you're going to do the crime, how's that go? If you're going to do the crime you got to do the time or whatever. So what's the penalty for uh, guilt? Our inability to keep the law. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 18, Old Testament, it says the person who sins is the one who will die. Their soul, if you read the whole context, it says their soul will die. So you see that in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, the same thing. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So the penalty, whether it, it all three monotheistic religions say 
that the penalty for not keeping the law is broken relationship with God. Spiritual death. God's God's wrath. Separation. Something happens. And and what can you do, I think, is what I I put in, in your outline, is what can I do about my sin? Because you have this hanging over you. I, I love John chapter 3. You may have heard verse 16. They, they, you know, maybe at a ball game or whatever. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Great, great passage of scripture. In other words, God came for us. But verse 17 is really, really important because it reminds us that Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. Why? We're condemned already. In other words, you know, I know, I know I've screwed up. I know that I've not kept the law. I have lied. I have lost my temper. I have had wrong attitudes. I have been in wrong place. I mean, I have that over me. I know I am guilty. Now, maybe I can look over here and feel better about myself because I'm not as guilty as the person sitting right here or the person at your campus or the person who doesn't even care about God or even go to church. And maybe if I look at them and compare myself enough, I can start to... But when I go to bed at night, I realize that the Scripture teaches, here's the law, here's the Ten Commandments, and I, I can't keep them. And the result of not keeping them is eternal separation. So what do I do? What do, you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you do? It's kind of, it reminds me of uh, when you're trying to, you know, teach your dog to do something. And uh, they mess up. And I walk in, and if one of them, uh, the, the older one wouldn't, but our little puppy, if Harley goes to the bathroom in the house, all I have to do is say, who did that? And she puts her head down. And then she <laughs> runs, uh, runs away. And I often feel the same way because of my inability to do what I know I'm supposed to do. And all through scripture you see people who are running away. Maybe even you, it's hard. I mean, you're here because it's a holiday but you wouldn't normally find yourself here. And it's not because you just hate God. It's just because you feel like our little puppy. You know. You know that you don't always tell the truth. You know that your heart has desired or lusted after things that are destructive. And you just don't like feeling that way. Because it hangs over us. Well, the reason that we celebrate Good Good Friday is because God came to do something about that. God, just like he said in verse 7, he didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to say, I know what you did. I saw what you did. You're in big trouble now, buddy. That's not why he came. He came. Well, if you look at your outline, what can I do about my sin? Well, you and I can't do anything, but Jesus came to give us, and here's the Bible word, okay, and then we're going to talk about it, atonement. Jesus came to give us atonement, and the word atonement means covering 
the wages, the payment of sin is death. We needed a payment. We need a covering. The Hebrew word is kapar. We needed something to to cover, right? So that when God looks at me, God doesn't see my lie. He doesn't see my bad attitude. He doesn't see my wrong spirit. He doesn't see me missing the bullseye. That, that, that's what the scripture's talking about. The law awakens me to the realization that I am not perfect and that I am in need of something to cover my sin. If you've ever read the story of Noah's Ark in Genesis chapter 6, remember what happens. God looks down at us human beings. He says, man, you guys are wicked. You, what does he mean by wicked? We are sinners. We are what? Missing the bullseye. We're not living perfect lives. We're hurting one another. We're lying to one another. We're committing adultery on one another. I mean, God looks down and he says, so what I'm going to do is bring what? Well, it's rain in the story, but what is the rain? It's his wrath. God cannot has not, will never be able to um, embrace sin. Sin always brings God's wrath. God sees sin and his wrath comes. Well, that's what the rain is. It's God's wrath upon man's sin. And if you read the story, all right, I encourage you to go and do it. It says this, God told Noah to put pitch, okay, on the inside and the outside of the boat to keep the water, which was God's wrath, from getting in. Well, the word that's used there is the word kapar. It's the word covering. It's the word atonement. Do you think God's not telling us something in the story of Noah's Ark? Do you think all the way back in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve screw up, God says that he's going to send one that's going to crush the head of the adversary, and then in chapter 6, he reminds us that the only way Noah was able to stay dry from God's wrath, from the rain, was he needed a covering. And you and I find ourselves in the same place. We need a covering. And if you look in Leviticus, all right, the, the Levitical law, God, God gives a way for this covering to take place. And, and if you read uh, the rabbinic literature, okay, which is basically a commentary on the Old Testament, they talk about a life for a life. And, and I, I, hope you're, I hope you're following with me, all right? Because I really want you to understand the power of this holiday season, the, the holiness of what we're celebrating. In Leviticus chapter 17, it says this, For the life of the body is in its what? Its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you or to do what? To cover you, to atone for you, to forgive you, making you right with the Lord. How are we made right with the Lord? Kapar, covering, atonement. Um, it is the blood given in exchange for life that makes forgiveness, purification, atonement possible life for life there must be a death there must be a sacrifice and it is the blood which is evidence of a sacrifice that does what that covers that's what he's saying and then in the new testament it reminds us of this law it says in hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 in fact according to the law of moses nearly everything was purified with what blood for without the shedding of blood without sacrifice 
there is no what? Kapar. There is no covering. There is no atonement. There's no forgiveness. And, and here's the reason this is so important. is because just like what we saw in Noah's Ark and just like what we saw with what God said uh, to Adam and Eve, we're going to see all throughout Scripture that it's pointing somewhere. That, that God is, um, he, he has a plan. And you see it all the way from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And that's why when we celebrate Good Friday and we celebrate Easter, we're celebrating more than just a holiday, more than just coming to church, more than just eggs, that there's really a, 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 a whole story that is being, um, that's being told. Now, let's look at some of these. We can't look at all of them. I mean, all. But I want us to look at some of these stories that are pointing to what we're celebrating this weekend. Pointing to the cross, which is what happened on that Friday, on Good Friday. The first one I want us to see is found in Exodus chapter 12. Remember what happened in Exodus chapter 12? The people of God, the Hebrews, okay, have been in bondage to the Egyptians. Moses, maybe you saw the prince of Egypt years ago or Charlton Heston even before then. But Moses basically came in, looked at Pharaoh and he said, God told me to tell you, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, sure thing. Of course, we know that's not true. Pharaoh said, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. I'm the most powerful nation in the world. I'm not about to do what you tell me. And so God brought the plagues. To remind Pharaoh just who was powerful. Well, when they get to plague number 10, what is it going to be? It's going to be death of the firstborn. Which, you know, when you think about it, man, that's, that's um, horrific. And what does God tell Moses? Well, look with me in Exodus 12, verse 13. He says, but the blood on the doorpost will serve as a sign. Making the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will do what? What's that say? Pass over you. So you can see where they get the, the, the name Passover. I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, why? Why did the Hebrews not experience the death of the firstborn? It wasn't because of their goodness. This scripture right here reminds us. It wasn't because they were better than the Egyptians. Why were they in uh, Egypt in bondage in the first place? Because of their disobedience. That's why they're there anyways. And so God now is going to bring about their freedom. But it's not because they're better than the Egyptians. It's not because of anything they have done. It's because of the blood. And when they put the blood on their door, and this death angel comes and sees the blood, then it, uh, the angel passes over. Well, what do you think that's pointing to? Well, it's pointing to a future covering that you and I need. Right? God's wrath is being poured out, Romans tells us. On who? You and me. Those who have missed the bullseye of perfection, which I think I'm pretty safe in saying, includes you. I know it includes me. And so we too need, just like they did in Exodus, we need a covering so that the wrath of God passes, passes over, passes over us. I brought, you know, when you think about it, I mean, 
you know, blood is, is a liquid, but in reality, it's a covering. Right? That's, I mean, that's what all that we've looked at. It is this uh, covering, this atonement being put over so that when God looks, just as you cannot see my hand, God cannot see our sin. You, you, you see, it, you can't see my hand, but the reason you can't see my hand is not because my hand is invisible. It's because my hand is covered. And the same thing is true when it comes to my life. God covers, um, covers my sin. So you have this story in Exodus, and then God made this a holiday known as the, the, the Passover. And, and let's see God establish this in Leviticus chapter 16. And I hope you're seeing, you know, sometimes I, I don't know if I'm telling the story um, or being as clear as I want to be. But in Leviticus 16, Aaron, who is the high priest, okay, this is as, as they're being set free, Exodus, they're set free, and God is now going to uh, establish and, and look at, uh, establish them, and look at what it says. It says, Aaron, this is how they're going to get, this is how God is going to deal with the reality they can't keep the law. All right? They can't. And so God says, here's how we're going to deal with your sin in the Old Testament. It says in Leviticus 16, Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. This is so huge. Aaron, who was the most religious, holy person, okay? And he still needs what? A sacrifice. Why? Because he can't keep the law. He, he can't be perfect. He is a sinner. He is one who has missed the mark. And so they come to the temple, and Aaron has to sacrifice a bull, and then he takes the blood of that bull, and he goes into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And again, if you've read this, remember the story of the New Testament, when Jesus dies on this cross, the curtain that was in the temple that divided the Holy of Holies is, is, divided, um, is divided in two. Well, it's that curtain that um, Aaron goes behind and he sprinkles the blood on, and it's what? An atonement, a covering for his sin. Well, let's read on in verse 15. Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people. And he does the same thing. He carries the blood into the inner curtain where the Ark of the Covenant is. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement seat or the atonement cover and in front of it just as he did with the bull's blood. So this is a covering. And again, you just see this throughout Scripture. Remember when Adam screwed up? What did Adam and Eve do? They made themselves covering of what? Fruits, vegetables, leaves, right? Their own hand. They wanted to cover themselves. God comes and God says, remember what it said in Hebrews? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So what does God do? God kills an animal and covers them with skin. And you see this all throughout Scripture. And what is God proclaiming, prophesying? He is saying... And, and reminding us the wages, there is a price for not being perfect. And I want you to know you're not perfect. So I have given you this law, which will help you be able to be successful in life, but at the same time remind you that you can't keep it. 
Therefore, you are guilty. I am guilty. I need something to cover me. And God says it over and over as many different ways as possible. And each time he tells this story, what do we try to do? We try to make up for our inability to keep the law. It's what every other religion does. Every other religion is about their ability to make up for the acknowledgement that they can't keep the law. And that's what's happening here in Leviticus. They would come to the temple once a year during the Day of Atonement or uh, Yom Kippur. And the high priest would make sacrifice for his sin and then he would take um, the blood of a bull and he would make sacrifice for the people's sin. And then they would do this thing, and you've probably heard of it in other contexts, scapegoat, Leviticus 16. He will lay both of his hands, this is Aaron the high priest, on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Now remember, this is the sac- he could not do this without first the sacrifice. Without first the, the, the blood of the goat being put on the atonement seat. And as the goat, verse 22 says, goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into the desolate land. This is a picture of what? It's a picture of that God takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Right? That God take, when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin because my sin has been placed, as we're going to see, on a scapegoat. Now, we don't, we don't do this anymore. But all throughout the Old Testament, you see God creating a system that was pointing to something greater. In Numbers chapter 21, the, the, the people of God, they're out in the wilderness, and it says that God sent some poisonous snakes. They bite the people. And... Um, they start to die. And again, think about it. What in, in Genesis chapter 3, what did the enemy come as? Snake. And he bit Adam and Eve with sin. And remember what the scripture says? That if you eat of this apple, you will what? You will surely die. You will be separated. And now you have in numbers, you have the same thing happening physically. And what does God tell Moses to do. He says, I want you to, you know, make a a snake, a brazen snake. I want you to put it on this big metal pole, hold it up, and anybody who looks to the snake uh, or looks at the snake will actually be healed. They have to have enough faith in what they're hearing to look and be healed. Again, what is that pointing to? Of course, it's pointing to, to Jesus being lifted up. And if you've hung out at potential church, or you've, what, what, what do I say over and over again? We've been bidden. I'm a sinner, man. I am not perfect. And it, listen, it doesn't matter when you get bit by poison. It doesn't matter if it's a little bite or a big bite. Any poison in your system is going to take your life. And what did Jesus do? He came that first Good Friday, and he was lifted up. And all over the world, we proclaim, if you will look to the cross, if you will look to the Savior, 
you will find what? Healing. You will find hope for your soul. Now, and I, I want you to read. I want to read to you because, and again, I, I wish we had the time to just walk through all of this, but I want you to see that it, this, these pictures start to get specific. Not just that there would be one who would be lifted up, but who that one was, right? It, it begins to become a, a, a lot more specific. And the way I put it in your outline is there is a specific sacrifice. There's a prophecy in the Old Testament and a proclamation in the New Testament of Jesus. And let me just read you a couple of these, all right? And, you, and let me ask you the question, who does this sound like? This is Isaiah 53. And it says this. It says, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? Now listen, he says in verse 2, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected. Who does that sound like? Well, in John 1, it says that Jesus... He was rejected by his own. It says, we turned our backs upon him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet, it was our weakness he carried. Who did that? Jesus. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. In other words, people thought that the reason Jesus went to the cross is because of his blasphemy. But in reality, what does the scripture teach us? That Jesus went, he went carrying our sins. He went providing our covering, our atonement, our kapar. So here you are in the Old Testament Thousands of years before Jesus was even born, a specific prophecy about a specific covering or sacrifice. It says in verse 5, but he was pierced for our rebellion. Now, remember, how did the Jews do capital punishment? By stoning. So it's interesting to me that it would mention pierced as opposed to he was stoned or bruised. Uh, here it says he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins he was beaten so we could be whole and of course we know that the historical Jesus was beaten and was whipped um, before he ever went to the cross he was whipped so that we could be healed all of us like sheep have strayed away we have left God's path to follow our own Yet the Lord laid upon him the sins of us all. And, and we could continue in Isaiah 55, but I, I want us to look one other place, Psalm 22. It says in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for your help? And of course, all you have to do is go to the New Testament Gospels. And Jesus from the cross says the same thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, and we, we know the answer according to Isaiah. It's because he became our sin. He became my imperfection, my inability to keep the law. Every transgression of mine 
was put upon him. And my covering or became his righteousness. His righteousness was my covering. If you look with me in verse 6, it says, But I am a worm and not a man, and scorned and despised by all. Listen to this. It says, Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. And of course, again, if you go to the New Testament Gospels, you see these very same words being said, Not by Jesus, or Jesus' followers. It's not like people read this in Psalm 22 and said, oh, we need to make sure everybody thinks Jesus is the Messiah. These were his enemies that were fulfilling this prophecy. And again, we could go on and we could read so uh, many different places, but it's my heart's desire that as we have this incredible celebration and experience communion in a moment, that we understand, understand how important this, um, this celebration is. So let's, we've seen the prophecy of the Old Testament. Let's see the proclamation and end uh, with it in the New Testament. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God showed his great love for us, how? By sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So Jesus came to die for me, not because I had decided I needed something. I was still denying the need for a covering. It says in verse 9, And since we have been made right with God, by how? How? What does it say? The blood of Christ. We have been made right with God. How? By his blood. When we sing that song, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow. That makes me white as snow. Why? Because it becomes my atonement, my kapar, my covering. And Hebrews 9, 14, it says, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from the sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ did what? Offered himself to God as what? A perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. I mean, think about it. Jesus died somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D., in 71 AD, the Romans come in and they destroy the temple. So the Jews are no longer able to actually sacrifice animals. The rabbis get together and they decide that the way in which to deal with their sin is through prayer and repentance. But could it be that they missed the ultimate preparation that God made for our sins? That yes, we must repent, which is a change of mind. But a change of mind doesn't pay the penalty the wages of sin are death, and a change of mind doesn't pay for what I've done in the past. Could it be that the ultimate sacrifice was prepared and was given, just as Hebrew says, when Jesus gave up his life? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But if anyone does sin, right, and we all do, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. See, that, that's, that's Good Friday. I hope you've been able to follow me, but if not, I hope you understand that it's that one sentence that makes this an incredible celebration. 
that this whole weekend we are celebrating what happened on that Friday, on that day. Because we do. We are guilty. We do sin. No matter how righteous you might feel, and it doesn't matter how much better you or me might be, we all do sin. But even in my sin, even in my inability to be able to do what I desire to do, which is to keep the law that God says actually leads to a productive life, even in my inability to do that, I don't have to give up. I don't have to walk around defeated and in bondage to that guilt. No, what does it say? It says we have an advocate. We have someone who goes on our behalf and he pleads our case before the Father. Now, what is our case? What does he plead? Does he plead, well, you know, God, you need to forgive Troy. He's a good guy. He pastors that church and he's been faithful over the years. No, no, what, what does he What does he? What does he say? He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So he, Jesus, lived a perfect life, and he himself is the sacrifice that atones, covers our sin. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. What is, what does our advocate say? What is it that he tells the Father? He doesn't go to the Father and talk about how good I am. He goes to the Father and tells the Father that in my sin I have been covered. That my sin has been covered by his sacrifice. That that cross paid, covered, atoned for not just my sin but yours as well. And not just a lie, but all of it. Though our sins be as scarlet, the scripture says, they be made as white as snow. That's what this celebration is all about. That's why the cross, although an instrument of death, carries so much power in the life of a Christ follower. Because it is at the cross that Jesus paid the price and gave us our atonement, our covering, our forgiveness. And so I stand before God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time God, and I go before him boldly, not in my own righteousness, but in the perfection of Jesus that is placed over me. What greater gift is there in all the world? It's to know that it is not in your goodness that our relationship with God is obtained or kept but it is in the perfection of our Savior the last question is what how do you know if you've ever experienced a good Friday does it just mean to believe you know I believe Jesus I believe he went to the cross I, I, well, the scripture tells us, same passage that we read a moment ago, 1 John. Look at what he says, and I'll end with this. And we can be sure, right? Because isn't that what you want? Be sure to know that you have an atonement, you have a covering, to know that you're not going to have to give an account for your sin based upon your own goodness. No, he says, and we can be sure 
we can be sure that we know him. How? Because we say so? Because we worship or go to church? It says if we obey his what? His commandments. He goes even a little further. He says if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And that is how we know we are living in, in him. You say, Troy, that sounds a lot like those who get uh, established their relationship by keeping the law. No, no, no. Think about it now. He, he says we know we are in relationship with God because we keep his commandments. But why do we keep his commandments? What does it say? We obey, we keep, we follow God, not in order to receive something, not in order to earn something, but because we have already. It shows that we not are moving into a relationship, but that we are already in a relationship, that we have been covered. My obedience to God is not so that he'll do something for me, but it is because he has already done it we celebrate the cross and that's what I ask you I don't know what campus you're at I don't know what chair you're sitting in I don't know how you ended up here on this day but I know that it's not by accident I know that God brought you here and he brought you here not so he could point a finger in your face and say I know what you did and you're listen you and I you know that the whole reason he has you here because he wants you to know what's good about what he did on the cross. It's that he provides you a covering so that you can stand before God, <clears throat> not in your goodness, but in Christ's perfection. Like numbers, will you look to the cross? Or will like Adam and Eve, will you try to cover yourself in your own good works? Try to be good enough? Will you do what Noah did and cover your ark, your life, in pitch, in the atonement, in the blood of Christ? Or will you try to bail the water out? Right? Some of us, man, you get tired trying to be good enough to please God when all you have to do is to cover with what he's already provided. I'm going to pray for us because what I'm going to ask you to do on this holiday weekend takes incredible courage. It's to trust Him. It's to put your faith in Him. It is to receive this covering from Him to give Him your sin. So would you bow your head? And at the end of this prayer, I'm going to invite you just to come and stand at the front and then um, we will lead you in a prayer to receive Christ. Don't wait to see what someone else is going to do or how they're going to respond. This is about you and God. He got you here just to remind you how much he cares and loves and the price that he has paid. Father, I pray. I pray that your word 
has made us alive to the reality of what is good about that first Friday. About the price that you paid and the covering you provided. May the enemy be defeated. May you be glorified. If you're here in just a moment when I say amen and you would like to put your faith, your trust, receive that freedom that can only come from Christ. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom one day from the presence of sin. As soon as I say amen, just step out and then we'll pray together. May the enemy be defeated and may you be glorified in Jesus' name.